Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those major places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I, you can connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Longhorn Republic on Facebook. You can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's never broken up with anybody via text, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? How do I say goodbye I think that's all we can legally do of that song. I believe so, yeah. Please don't sue us, um, boys and or men. Um, th- no, Matt Rule. Uh, a, a mensch, we thought, you know. Uh, leaving him high and dry. It's it's a tough one uh, for the for the players in Waco, of course. Uh, he was just taking these interviews as a formality. Never turns down a business opportunity. He was 100% committed to the team. Of course, no, Gerald. I would never do that. Uh I don't ever have to worry about breaking up with anyone again. That's a nice feeling. So I got to be honest with you. I had one of those dumb husband moments that you have from time to time where I told my wife that I'm I'm almost upset that I never get to go through a breakup again because there's something really fulfilling about listening to breakup songs mm. while being while going through a breakup. Mm. Like there's something really deep about that. But yeah, so um, Matt Rule thought to be the best above board guy and then sends a text message saying goodbye to his team. Um Wow. Like, I don't know what else to say about that other than, like, let's take shots at the guy. Yeah, he made a smockery of Baylor. He definitely spit spit down the front of himself for sure. Yeah, it's unbearable that he did that. I got nothing. I thought I had one, and then it didn't work out. So we're not here to make jokes about Matt Rule. Even though we could, we totally, totally, totally could. Uh, but we are here because, honestly, Kyle, we had a, we had a Thursday show planned, and then uh, Crazy Wednesday happened. So... Uh, Chris Ash was holding interviews with the existing staff, seeing who he was going to keep, who he was not going to keep. And so reports started trickling out of Moncrief. Well, one of the big ones, Anwar Richardson reported that uh, defensive line coach Oscar Giles will be retained. Uh, He will likely, as a lot of the internet scuttlebutt has said, be focusing strictly on defensive ends rather than the whole defensive line as Texas looks to add a fifth defensive coach. Uh, Giles has been with Texas for quite a long time. He did a long stint under Mac Brown from 05 to 2013. Spent a season at La Tech, two seasons with Herman at Houston in 15 and 16. And then when Herman came over in 2017, Giles came with it. Some notable players he's coached. Uh, guys you may have heard of, Brian Robinson, Brian Arakpo. Uh, let's see, we've got Tim Crowder, Lamar Houston, Sam Acho, Ed Oliver when he was at Houston. Uh, back to back Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year, Puna Ford and Charles Amenahu. NFL guys, Jackson Jeffcoat, Alex Okafor. The list goes on and on and on. How big is this, Kyle, as we look for uh, continuity on the defense in Texas to improve, specifically in the area of pass rushing and getting pressure? When Giles has been able to focus on defensive ends, he's been really, really good. Yeah, I mean, he's coached, uh, I think, three guys who've won the uh, the Hendricks Award for the nation's best defensive end in Jackson Jeffcoat, Brian Arakpo, and 
believe he had another one in there. Yeah, um, but uh, in, in multiple All-Americans, Sam Acho, second-team All-American, obviously Rackpo All-American. Um, you know, we had uh, uh, Okafor was an All-American, second-team. Um, I mean, just, just Big 12 Players of the Year, Big 12 Defensive Linemen uh, of the Year just uh, has really had a, a great impact. We've always said the guy is a is a heck of a coach. At one point there was a little bit of a question about his his ability to recruit, but I think that has um, been answered with a pretty strong couple seasons here um, back to back. So I you know it, it's enormous in the sense that everywhere he's gone uh, in his coaching career he's he's had success, whether it was at UT a short stint at U of H with Herman, uh, one year at uh, La Tech with Manny Diaz, where they had an incredible defense that year. Um, he's always been successful. Everyone knows he can coach, and the guy's a Longhorn. You know that 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 means something, right? He he knows the program very very well. The time when you're blooding new coaches, and Tom Herman loves to talk about, um, you know, uh, alignment or just understanding the culture and, and teaching the, the coaches and the players, and all the people who come in new the culture of Texas. Uh, it helps to have an OG uh, like Coach Giles. So fantastic news. Giles has been around the block just uh just a couple of times and, and I think you know there there was a knock on his recruiting but guys like Vernon Broughton he was the primary on so I think tech he's shown that uh, he definitely can recruit and I think for me the thing that as Texas look Texas has a lot of young talent on the defensive line and so continuity is every, and as Texas switches back presumably under Chris Ash to playing guys more outside than they have a guy who's coached some of the best defensive ends to ever walk on the 40 acres like it's good that he'll be able to focus on that and really it's his ability to coach those guys up even there are other guys on the staff that can get him on campus but when they get there I don't know if I've seen a guy in recent history better than Oscar Giles of coaching up a specific position uh, like the defensive ends. And we, we joked about Matt Rule, uh, probably not enough off the top of the show, but with Matt Rule's departure and the opening now for potentially at least what the internet conversation is looking like and what kind of anybody that knows coaching, if you go to five defensive coaches, you add in a second defensive line coach. So Frank Ocam is now without a boss at least a head a CEO. He probably has a CDO, a chief defense officer, uh, but not necessarily a head coach. So the opening there is a, is a possibility. Kyle, you and I have not been shy about the fact that we would love to see big Frank, a guy who was not coached by Giles, but coached by the guy next to Giles on the coaching staff uh, back in Austin. Yeah. And, and a guy who didn't, he's done really, really well. They had an all American on that defensive line uh, for Baylor. And, and I believe a couple um, all Big 12 uh, mentioned. So um, they they had a, a ton of talent, obviously, you know, uh, or coached up a ton of talent. The defensive coordinator, Phil Snow, obviously is still, everyone's still on staff, but is Baylor, I think, from what I'm hearing, are, are working very hard to try to retain Snow. Maybe that means that, you know, they try to keep the continuity and keep the staff in place, especially if they promote Joey McGuire um, from within. Um, again, we're not breaking news. That's pure speculation. But um, there is the chance that he says, you know what, like right now, 
is not the time for me to leave because I can I can basically bump up a little here at, at Baylor. But it also Baylor's going to have a bit of a reload next year, especially on that defensive side of the ball. It might be a good time to go out with hey, I coached this kid up to a you know to being an All American uh, Lynch. That is, um, I'll just uh, I'll just take the uh, the large paycheck that the University of Texas can offer me. And uh, Mama called, you know, I gotta I gotta come home, and uh, I would love it personally. Now Baylor's flush with cash right now, so like the 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 check whipping or money whipping is probably not a thing. But it's hard when home comes a calling, right? And and I think that's the thing that Texas can sell um, Frank Ocam. And I don't know why his his email and his uh, extension to his office are both on his Baylor profile. I just noticed, which is probably not a great thing to have out there on the <laughs> internet. But he's he's worked his way up. He started at Rice uh, after a stint within the NFL. He played for the Texans uh, for three seasons and then kind of bounced around a couple of teams. Uh, before that, he worked um, he worked at Rice. He was a defensive line coach uh, and then was a GA with with Rice at, when he kind of went back to school there. And so then he's moved up the the ladder. And so Ocam's a guy that I would love to see back at Texas. And can you imagine having two guys that are multiple year letter because Ocam was a four year letterman at Texas. And so having Giles and Ocam able to walk into a recruits living room and, and talk about what being a football player at the university of Texas did for them. Like that's a heck of a recruiting pitch. And also uh, the, the idea that he can walk into any living room or talk to these, these players themselves and say, Hey, I got a degree from one of the best universities um, that, that also is great at football, you know, right in that wheelhouse of about two or three schools in the world can compete with the university of Texas on that recruit. And then, Oh, by the way, I went and finished my grad degree right down the road at rice because I played at Texas. So I could easily get a job at rice. Cause he, he did get a, uh, a postgraduate degree while coaching uh, or while a grad assistant at Rice. So, so literally the man makes nothing but right moves. So it just seems like, of course, he's going to make the right move and come on home. You know, both of those guys, Giles and and Ocam, were on that 05 team. Now, Giles was coaching on that 05 team and Ocam was a player on that 05 team. And you dropped a right in there if they don't go after Ocam. Like, you got you got to go one direction on I-35. I'd love to see Rod Wright, who's currently the defensive uh, line coach at UTSA, potentially come home as well. But maybe give him a couple more years to simmer. I think Ocam is a likelier guy. So, another coaching move, Chris Ash again was having interviews in Craig Nivar, safeties coach and interim defensive coordinator, will not be retained. He coached the safeties for the last three seasons and served as the interim defensive co- uh, coordinator for the Alamo Bowl, where Texas held Utah to just 10 points, kind of an embarrassing outing for them. And Nivar uh, reportedly coming off the field looked at somebody and said, that's my insert phrase job interview. Uh, so... Looks like he's uh, going to be joining his for his defensive coordinator Todd Orlando at Texas Tech. Texas Tech announced Wednesday that Todd Orlando had been uh, signed as a linebackers coach and associate head coach, uh, but. There's no kind of talk about Nivar, but we've had heard internet rumors. And then, Kyle, you have some sources as well saying that Nivar will be joining Orlando in Lubbock. Yeah, I think that was uh, that was what, what I heard originally is that uh, the, the plan was always to stay together. He did get some some looks for defensive coordinator positions if the, the right one came a call, and he, he may have done that. But I think at the moment that... Uh, that Todd was gone, he always thought maybe they, they would like to be a package deal going forward, which uh, very understandable. They work well together. Again, think back to their their first year, um, you know, together that they had the 
the third best defense in the Big 12, and, and if they would have put those exact same stats up, would have been almost the, the best defense in this year's Big 12. So they, they had a, a great start. Obviously, each year kind of got a little bit tougher uh, with uh, graduation and injuries and different things and turnover in those teams, but you cannot take away from a single-game performance that that's, that's one of the best uh, from a Texas coach I've ever seen. Just you get one game to prove yourself, and you go out and, and, and an absolute – gem uh, against Utah so he'll always have a special place for that also for his uh, his um, blue language on the sideline uh, that became a bit of a, an internet meme during the game and then if you remember back to the uh, to the um, I think it was a spring game right around there do you remember when he did the uh, he dressed up like the Mad Max uh, Fury Road character who was playing the guitar with the flamethrower he actually showed up with a flamethrower and a an all black robe and stood at the top of the stadium and and again i hope i'm not any osha issues coming here but uh, expelled flames from it which is absolutely amazing like the guy come on is a legend i like i I said i i've i've uh, known many people who've played or a few people i guess who've played for him and everyone loves him so he's gonna he's gonna do a great job there at tech I, i do actually hate to lose him and to see him go to a to a competitor the nivar in orlando heading to tech feels like um if Orlando was available-ish last year, Orlando would probably be the de- defensive coordinator uh, at Texas Tech. And I am – this is my biggest fear, Kyle, with, with Orlando and Nivar both heading to Lubbock, is that is that Orlando and or Nivar become the, the Brent Venables for Texas, where if you guys don't get that metaphor, OU fans ran Brent Venables – out of town. They're like, he's not good. He can't coach defense. He's the reason why we're not succeeding. Our defense isn't great. Our offense is great. Defense isn't doing great. Get rid of Brent Venables. Well, Brent Venables just went ahead and built something over at Clemson. And, um, big chief reason why they're competing for back-to-back national championships. Haven't lost a game in what? 29 games is the record right now. And a lot of it's done on the defensive side. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot to that. Brent Venables is a guy who just kind of settled in. He's gotten head coaching offers and likes being the best and highest paid defensive coordinator in the country. And then just proving that, uh, he's worth every penny. Um, and, and really just shows that, OU sucks. (laughs) But, uh, I agree with you that, that, oh man, I keep looking at week eight on next year's schedule nestled, Coming off OU and West Virginia, two offenses who you better not get caught sleeping on, um, you know, and, and, and then a Baylor game right after it. You don't have a ton uh, of just extra time to get your offense ready to face it. I can very much see uh, Sam Ellinger having his worst game of the season, you know, a, a 245 total yards against that team uh, with a motivated linebackers coach. Uh, and uh, a defensive backs coach in, in Orlando and and Coach Nivar. So uh, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the Tech game now. Tech always does something stupid anyways and makes the game closer than it should be talent-wise and, and honestly record-wise. But uh, I'm especially dreading that game next year. That's poison Kool-Aid, and I don't necessarily like it. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty worried on what that's going to happen again. But hopefully whatever Yursich does on the offensive side, because it'll be a different offensive look and a different offensive game plan. So hopefully there's not too much inside information. Uh, the last little bit of reporting that we have uh, to report on as far as the coaching front, a guy that you and I are, are glad that reports came out early that he would be retained. Herb Hand and Stan Drayton, we know uh, at least are have been reportedly 
retained by the coaching staff uh, for the University of Texas. But Brian Davis, in the midst of all this, said that Stan Dravis is being courted by a few NFL teams, which Drayton has got some knocks from people. He can't land the big fish, can't land the big fish. And then he and Tim Beck landed the biggest fish Texas has landed since. Uh, well, technically Brew McCoy, but before that, Malik Jefferson. Uh, so... Landed that guy three years in a row, signed the top uh, running back in the conference. So uh, Drayton is a guy who we love to stay. But if he goes to the NFL, Kyle, that's a little uh, little problematic, I think, for Texas as it looks to install some continuity on offense. Yeah, and you bring in uh, new new position coaches at that point, at both receiver and running back, which, again, is your, your really like recruiting wheelhouse. So you have to replace – your two kind of recruiting centers on the offensive side of the ball, um, not to mention replace Orlando, not a, a prolific recruiter, but but Nivar on the defensive side, who is a wonderful recruiter. Um, so you better hope Chris Ash has some good uh, connections and and uh, that you know all the all the coaches who remain on that staff uh, hand um, and and others need to uh, probably step up a bit if that happens because uh, again the the recruiting onus the running back room is stacked but that does not mean that once this cycle finishes and, and we're watching Bijan play we're not immediately looking towards the next class and the next class after that and trying to find at least one if not two uh, really good running backs to uh, to try to bring on campus so the, the cycle starts over and uh, again just because you're a position coach specifically doesn't mean you only recruit that position so um again your guys like jason washington and and um you know obviously your your two new coordinators um you are really asking to to step up and just recruit their tails off um especially if you lose coach drayton i guess to, to give some insight into what you just said the way it generally works is that guys will guys will recruit a position and a region so like you'll you'll recruit your position, uh, at least be involved in the recruiting, and then you'll also recruit a specific uh, area. And so that's why you hear a lot of guys, a lot of conversation about Texas can't get into DFW, and so that's why they're looking at guys like Emmett Jones to be on the staff because Drayton Drayton did a good job in his region. Drayton did a good job at his position because again, top guy in the Big Twelve, three years running at a running back, uh, and and he's been involved in a lot of high pressure, high need recruiting organizations. So. There going to be shakeups on the on the coaching staff. We haven't gotten a ton of reporting uh, around any any other changes. Who's going to be added? But it looks like we know what spots will be open. So offensively, we're still waiting on what it looks like to be wide receivers and tight ends on the defensive side. We're looking at linebackers, defensive tackles, and potentially cornerbacks. I think. Well, we haven't heard anything on Coach Washington one way or the other yet. So if, if he's retained, which, again, my fingers crossed because I think he's our best recruiter on the defensive side of the ball, um, he, he would obviously continue to be the, the cornerbacks coach, uh, assuming Ash kind of does what he's done most of his career. He, he's coached defensive backs, but specifically at Ohio State, uh, coach safety. So um, assuming he chooses to continue coaching safeties, which was what uh, Coach Nivar did last year, and, again, makes sense why – uh, maybe they didn't attempt to retain him. You would assume that maybe that means they they are. It hasn't come out yet officially, but they're hoping to uh, to keep Coach Washington. I don't know if no news is good news or no news is bad news on this because we got one of each that was that was kind of leaked and reported. Where we got one that was because some of the reports I saw is that Nivar didn't even interview. 
Like that was that was one of the reports I saw earlier is that Nivar didn't even interview, uh, but they did interview Giles and seemingly Washington, and maybe he hasn't done the interview yet. Maybe it's just a, a series of interviews. But no news. I'm going to take no news as good news right now because I am a glass half full kind of person. So we will. Keep the keep you in the loop as best as we can as the reporting comes out. You can follow us on Twitter at Longhorn Pod to get a lot of information about that. And so now we have the distinct honor of welcoming back our friend, friend of the show, Philip Slavin from Cowboys Ride for Free and the Ten Twelve Podcast uh, to give us some insight from the Oklahoma State point of view. Philip, how are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm all right. You know, Christmas is over, the holidays are done, the lights are put away, the tree is up in the attic, much to my sore lower back chagrin. Um, and, uh, I'm ready to get back to, I guess, talking college basketball because football season's over, which is, it's never long enough, man. It gets here and it's just like, it's over. Bye. Thanks. See you next time. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, it's kind of like your child's first years of life where it's just like, Oh, and now you're basically a, an adult and I don't like it. It it just, it's, (laughs) it ends too soon. Well, when, when we talk spring sports, maybe we need to get Phil back on here because this is clearly a big 12 golf uh, podcast right here. Come on. We know this is the uh, the true powers UT and, and OSU, probably more than football, honestly. I mean, if you guys wouldn't, you know, screw it up and choke to Stanford, that, that would have been, that would have been, I hate losing to the loser. There's nothing worse than losing to the loser. <laughs> uh, Phil, you may not know this. You're in the Big 12. UT is always the winner. Oh, God. E- even if even if the results don't show it uh, for the last decade. Regretting don't his pull decision. pull a BYU and go independent, okay? We'll be, we'll be fine. Oh man! So all of that aside, all of the all of the friendly vitriol aside, uh, we're here to talk Mike Yersich. Uh, so if you don't know, if you listen to this podcast, so a couple weeks back, uh, Texas hired Ohio State passing game coordinator and former Oklahoma State Cowboys offensive coordinator uh, Mike Yersich to be the new man taking over for Tim Beck on campus and. Living in Oklahoma, I hear a lot of different opinions from a lot of people with various levels of uh, acumen, I'll go ahead and say. Um, and so opinions are mixed on on your sitch. And so, Philip, you are a guy who, at least I, I can't vouch for Kyle, but I trust your opinion. So what are your feelings on Mike Yersich as an OC? So I'm a, I am a... I'm a Yersich fan, um, and I understand why some fans don't like it. I, I, I think the best comparison to make before we get into the nitty-gritty is this. Um, whoever follows up Nick Saban at Alabama is screwed. It doesn't. It, they're, they're screwed. There's nothing they can do. They won't be as popular. There's no way they're going to be as successful. They're screwed. Um, usually that happens with head coaches all the time. It doesn't happen with coordinators as often. It did here. You got Holgerson for a year. You got two years uh, of Todd Monken, and everybody. I mean, you look at it right now. There's rumors that Todd Monken might be coming back. He's he's like the ex girlfriend that got away. You just can't stop scrolling through their Instagram. And goodness, I hope you didn't hit that like and she sees it because that's going to be real awkward. Um, and Yersich was the rebound, but the rebound stuck around for six seasons. And after a while, fans got tired of it because it wasn't. They just it, things weren't going as well as they like, and I think a lot of the blame got cast upon his shoulders. You know, you had Rudolph for three seasons, and and fans got mad because they didn't win a Big Twelve title, and we're gonna ignore the fact that there's other things than just your team that go into that that happening. But I just he got a bad rap. I think Yersich is a good offensive coordinator. Um, he's not perfect. He can be 
stubborn at times. I always think back to oh crap, I'm gonna get the year wrong. Was it the 2016 or 2016 Oklahoma State Texas game that was the 13-10 game that that ended with Ellinger throwing a interception in the end zone? Was it 2016? Am I getting the year right? They go 17. 17. Okay, thank you. I'm I'm sorry. Like, forgive me. I I will use the same excuse I've been using for the last 11 and a half months. I have a small child. Um, my memory isn't quite what it used to be. Um, even at the ripe old age of 35, oh, shit, I don't even know <laughs> how old I am anymore. Um, there's games like that that fans will point to and go, "What? This this isn't a problem. We don't. We never felt like we had this problem with Mockin. You could always score points. That wasn't the problem. The problem is you couldn't stop anybody. But at least we could score points." Um, when you have good defensive games, they're like, wow, we can't score any points. You're like, well, but the defense do, wow, we don't care because that's how OSU fans, we're an offensive team. So you look at games like that and, and, you know, you can see the stubbornness of OSU continuing to try to do the same thing over and over again, even though it didn't work, just running your head into a brick wall. You look at like 2017, the loss to Kansas state at home. That was just stupid. Like you couldn't score for three quarters and all of a sudden, Oh, we're, we're going to come back. And Fans just found those things to look at and get frustrated about. But personally, like you're ignoring all the things he did well. You're ignoring the fact that, sorry, five out of the six years, you had a top 20 offense. Like, and the only year you didn't was 2014. And you, your starting quarterback went out. You got Dax can only throw it far Garmin. And then finally, the only reason he got out was because Texas beat him so bad. He got two concussed to come back and we got Mason Rudolph <laughs> for the last two games of the season. And then history was what it was. By the way, the, the only year that Charlie Strong could beat Mike Gundy, because the only way he could do it is by knocking out the, or just, you know, concussing the backup quarterback that could only throw it deep. And once everybody figured that out, they just wouldn't let him do that. Cause he couldn't throw, you know, 10 yards, but the knock on Yersic, I like, he's not the best, but he's really damn good. And it's going to be really fun watching OSU fans get mad when he's doing a really good job at Texas, uh, albeit with, I don't want to say better players. I mean, we could say higher rated players coming into college. I don't, I want to give OSU a ton of credit for how well we develop players. I'm going to say we, like I'm out there like doing anything. Um, how well OSU develops players, but you can say Oklahoma that Texas has a more talented roster in theory because of, you know, for recruiting, which is going to be interesting to see. I, we can keep talking more about it. I know you guys have more questions, but I'll just kind of end because I feel like I've been ranting for 20 minutes now. And I, I think I'm about to black out because I haven't stopped talking for a while. I, I think it's going to hope this turns out to be like an OU fans with Brent Venable situation where they run, they run the guy off and then he finds a newer, younger, hotter team that, has more talent and wins a couple of national championships. Like that's, that's my dream. It's not going to happen, but that's the dream that I have. Well, I, okay. So to me, I want to talk about his greatest achievement to me in a minute, but this is going to go one of two ways um, because this kind of feels like a, for different reasons, um, Mike Gundy being forced to hire an offensive coordinator, bringing in Dana Holgerson back before the 2010 season. You know, because uh, there was 2008, 2009. There's the 2008 game against Missouri, which is still one of the best games of OSU's like time. Mike Gundy's time. You know, you go to Missouri and and you get that big win when they were like top three. Um, but they kept taking shots down at the at the sideline, and the defense is on the field, and Gundy's not even looking at the field. He's just over here drawing up his offensive plays because he's running the offense himself. And 
I think it was in 2009, end of the year, they can't they can't score a point against OU. They can barely score seven points against Ole Miss. Part of it's because they should have played Brandon Whedon, but you know, history is what it is. And the rumors were basically like uh, T Boone and Holder were like, "Go hire an OC. You can't just keep being like, just go hire somebody. Like, go do that. Be the head coach." And hired Holgerson, and and, and thus is is how it went. So that is option A to me for how this is going to go. Is Tom Herman's like, "Fine, I'll quit running the offense myself. Right. Bring somebody in, and it's going to work perfectly." Or and why I'm really concerned for why the hell Yursich is doing this? He's tying himself to a sinking ship. Now, granted. He won't be blamed for the ship when it sinks because Tom Herman can't get the job done. So he'll be able to go get another job somewhere else. But it's just outside of money, like I'm just I was kind of surprised that he went ahead and took this job when I thought the point of going to Ohio State in, in part was to go be a head coach somewhere. But I don't I I was shocked that this is not that Tom Herman went to hire Yersich, but that Yersich went ahead and and chose to take this job. Well, and, and I think the thing is, is if you look at, uh, you know, open, vacant offensive coordinator jobs with quarterbacks the caliber of, of Ellinger, and I know, you know, Big 12 fans sometimes rank him somewhere between one and as low as four, which is crazy, but, you know, Ellen God is he, is he is known around these parts. Um, you know, it, it, it is the chance to uh, to shape some pretty good clay, right? And I think, uh, I think even if it isn't a long-term six-year deal like he had at, at Oklahoma State, it does give a chance for him to come in one, two, probably three tops, I would say, if he has three good years, um, and and then truly kind of get his his pick of a head coaching job if he's able to stabilize uh, a Texas offense that actually was deceptively good this year. I think when you look at a team that underperformed, it really wasn't the offense, even though they got rid of Tim Beck. They had dry spells, but they had talent, and they had overall production. So maybe if you're if you're uh, Coach Ursus, you think, you know, there, there is talent there as much as I've ever worked with, maybe as one year – Ohio State aside, um, and, and he just comes here. I mean, is there anything – so that aside, is there anything specifically in his schemes? Um, the personnel, you obviously follow the Big 12 very closely. Just anything at Texas where the cupboard is certainly not bare that he comes into um, that you think matches well for his style? I mean, if you think about it, though, Yersich played with a couple of different styles of quarterbacks. You know, you you start with J.W. Walsh, and you've also got Shelf, and then you have Mason Rudolph. And I think Mason Rudolph is more what he wanted. And I don't, I, I don't look at Ellinger and Rudolph as two guys that are similar in any. I mean, not really. Those are not, those aren't similar quarterbacks to me. They don't, right. they don't play sim, the the same style. And 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 Rudolph feels more like what Yursich wanted. You look like he he brought in Spencer Sanders. Um, I think he likes guys that can run. I think that's something to just call it. But I also think that part of that's just that's where college football has gone. Is you want mm-hmm. a a quarterback nowadays who can who can do some damage with his legs. I mean, I, for me, fit what? Let me let me be blunt. I'm not the best at, at sitting here and breaking down X's and O's and so. Oh well, it's it's four wide over three and a tight end and then two back and like I can't. I, that's not my forte. It's not my skill set. Like I I watch football and go woohoo touchdown um but look i I think he's a good oc and i think with the talent and the depth of talent that texas has um i i think he's going to be very effective and run a very effective offense and i think he'll be able to build an offense one bring what he knows and what he does well and two build one that fits what texas's personnel is and fits sam ellinger now i i know everyone the joke was like how are they going to get you know they were 
talking about Graham Harrell, you're gonna bring in a, a spread guy. Get Ellinger doesn't mm. really do the spread, and I'm like, well, like, nice, but no, Yursich uh, isn't what I would consider a true like. He's not Graham Harrell. You're not gonna get a Mike Leach spread everything out, eight wide receivers wide, you know, across the field. Um, they do spread them out, but also. OSU runs OSU's offense. And while you may change certain wrinkles and things um, with the different offensive coordinator that comes in, Gundy makes a point. Like, the offense will change at OSU, but you still run OSU's offense. And I think a lot of what, honestly, to go back and look at Oklahoma State tape, and you'll see probably what you're going to see at Texas here. It'll be somewhat familiar and similar to what they did at OSU, um, especially with, like, I mean, especially with like J.W. Walsh. You you kind of mentioned it before in your your apprehension about the Yersich move. Where is he is he tying his his wagon to a guy who's not going to let him call plays? And I think that's why it's a bit of a fit because we saw at at Oklahoma State what one thing Yersich did was he called run plays what forty eight percent of the time basically if you look statistically at like actual like called runs and so that's what Tom Herman wants to do and and that's I think why it could be a fit and and I think to to your point I think what what frustrations then uh, should fans be aware of or be cognizant of? Because you've had a lot of good things to say about him, but what are some things that maybe uh, fans should be aware of as as a new offensive coordinator is trying to implement his system with uh, with the senior quarterback and some experience on the offense? So let me let me say this. Um, I think in um, con- wanting to control the offense, that Mike Gundy and Tom Herman might be a little bit similar. So Yersin should be comfortable working with somebody who wants to have their say in the offensive game plan. Because like I I think Gundy gets more involved more than he will admit, but I also don't think he's as involved as people think he is, if that makes sense. I, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Um and so sometimes it got hard trying to figure out what is the game plan is the stubbornness of the game plan right now with continuing to try and do the same thing even though it's not working is it was it Yersich or was it Gundy mm. um, i think there i think Yersich very my one knock would be this um, he's going to come in with a game plan and if the game plan doesn't work in the first quarter the game plan's not going to change much in the second it's going to be halftime before he seems to really make major adjustments to the offensive game plan to try and there will be in-game adjustments but his i wouldn't say like in half adjustments are not a strength of his and i again i don't know how much of that's him and i don't know how much of that's gundy because i could argue there was a little bit of that this year and i really look at the oklahoma state texas game ironically where the get, Texas had a perfect game plan to stop what OSU wanted to do, but it didn't seem like they changed much about it until after halftime. So I'm not sure how much of it is to blame Yursich for and how much of it is to blame Gundy for. But if I had to, based off of the six years he was there, in half, not in game, because you'll see changes at halftime, but in half adjustments, especially in the first half, just didn't really seem to be something that that they were great at. It really felt like they had to go into the locker room at halftime sit down, work on a new game plan, come up with some new stuff, and then come out and try again and, and find things that would work. But in in half adjustments, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but man, if you're if you're struggling for for two full quarters and, and especially in the Big 12, you get down big, yeah, you can make comebacks, but that's 
That's not something you want to live by. Now, granted, a lot of the times what he did worked. Like what they were doing was very effective. But when it wasn't, it just seemed like it was really hard for him to make the adjustments quickly to counter what the defense was doing. And it would be, it'd be half the third start of the third quarter before we'd really see something different. So you, you gave a, a little anecdote when we were just chatting before about some of the, some of the, you know, we've talked strengths. We've probably talked little weaknesses there and, and we're ultimately going to talk, you know, if he can have success, but you mentioned something about um, his ability to just, to almost will um, his game plan into existence to make something out of nothing. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you saw in, in you know, when the, the cupboard maybe wasn't bare or Texas had injuries, for instance, this year and really had to get creative in a, in a situation where where the chips are, are, are down a little bit. Uh, what, what have you seen from him? Look, again, I think yours is a good offensive coordinator. I think he did a good job his whole time here. But if you want to, his magnum opus, it was 2015. Well, let, me, let me explain something to you. Um, the one thing that I don't think is fair to hold against Yersich when the offense was struggling was the difference between Holgerson and, and Monken and then Yersich. Joe Wickline left after that 2012 season, right? So you get a new offensive line coach. And when he left, he left the cupboard there. And it has taken them six, seven years to finally get back to where the offensive line is playing to, to the 2013. So in 2014, 2015, 2016, you had you did not have great offensive line play. They didn't have good depth. They they had they had real issues. And that was something that you know people just didn't want to give, didn't want to I don't want to say give him enough credit for, but didn't didn't seem willing to like, yeah, but he also has dealt with this that the other guys didn't have to. But 2015, let me tell you, they had one game, one game where a running back rushed. For over 100 yards. Chris Carson went for 104 against UT San Antonio. On the flip side of that, they had five games where the leading rusher rushed for 50 yards or fewer. That team won 10 straight games to open the season. He manufactured a rushing game out of a beat-up Chris Carson J.W. Walsh, the quarterback who was the second leading rusher, and then some strength. Like it was like a, it was the MacGyver. MacGyver's got to make something. All he's got is some scraps here. That was usage creating a running game for Oklahoma State when it absolutely did not have. There was no, there was no Chuba Hubbard. There was no. Uh, I mean, and this isn't a shot at Chris Carson. I really like Chris Carson. I'm a, I'm a big Chris Carson fan. It's the only reason I will ever watch a Seattle Seahawks game because I don't like the Seahawks, but I like when he does well. But if he could get a ton of touchdowns and stay healthy, and they lose, I'd be okay with that. Um, but I mean, he was so beat up and he couldn't stay healthy. And that team's offensive line was awful. And they won 10 straight games. I still have no idea how that team won 10 games. That is, That was the Baylor Bears this year. I compared the two. Like, Baylor was good this year. They really were good. But also, how many close games did they win? Oklahoma State won games by, like, three points, two points, two points in overtime. Like, it, four-point giant comebacks. That team was had no business winning 10 games. And I give him so much credit for it and so much credit for literally creating a rushing game where they didn't have one. And I do think he was creative. I mean, you go back and watch, we always laughed, go back and watch the Lego videos of him explaining his offense using little little Lego men, okay? You just Google Mike Yersich Legos, you'll see it. It's, 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 kind of, it's kind of neat. But I think he's a creative guy. I do. Um, I think there's more to him leaving Oklahoma State than just 
you know, I, I, I think he wanted to, to stretch his wings and do some different things. And he got a year to kind of do that at Ohio State. He felt comfortable going up there. And now he's looking for a new opportunity at Texas. Um, but I think he's a creative guy. Uh, I, I think he has, like any coach, has things that he doesn't do as well. But I, I think he should be, I think he'll be successful at Texas. I do. I love it. Well, man, Philip, thank you so much for giving up your time to, to connect with us. And we, Kyle and I always talk about like we, we are marginal at best, but we want to get people on that know actually what they're talking about. So Philip, <laughs> if people want more from you, man, where can they, where can they find you on the internet? The irony is that that's what I do on my big 12 show is I just am like, let me just bring on other people who sound really smart. And I sound smart be, because I brought them on. Um, so uh, you can find my show about the Big 12, the 1012 podcast. Um, we are on anywhere that you get your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12 of podcast. Um, if you want some Oklahoma State coverage, I do write for Cowboys Ride for Free. We are the OSU SB Nation site. So if you can find Burn Orange Nation, you can find Cowboys Ride for Free. Uh, and if you want to follow me personally, for some reason, uh, most of it's OSU. Sometimes I'm funny. I mean, I'm not Gerald Goodwood tweeting about his kid funny. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of close sometimes. Uh, I am at OKTXAR poke. Love it, man. Philip, thank you so much again. We'll let you go back uh, and I guess parent for a little bit before he pass out. No, no, no. It's eight. She's in bed at seven o'clock. <clears throat> I do not podcast until she is out. Yes. And amen. So that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me. On Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Gooders. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. As always, shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. Hook em.